0: Thanks, Bex. Um, Firstly, I just want to thank you guys for inviting Jess and I back and giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, Yeah, um, for those that have come to the church in the last 12 months, um, this has been Jess's home church for since she was born, I guess, and mine for probably the last six years. Um, And yeah, in January we moved to Auckland currently attending life church up there and yeah, but very much still consider this our spiritual home. So it's great to be back. Thank you. Um I'm gonna start yeah. So we're gonna discuss today a, a situation in an Israelite man that was persecuted for his faith. Um yeah, so in first century Israel an Israelite man stands before the high priest and the religious and political authorities. They must answer for the disruption that they've caused to the Jewish nation, bringing thousands to follow them." And, yeah, the, the priests and the religious authorities through this have been slowly losing their power and, yeah, demanding ret- retribution. this Israelite man shaped and crafted the religious thoughts of many, shifting their understanding of God. Those who have been disabled now walk yeah those who have been disabled now walk through the temple healed others are free of demons that once possessed their life and the thoughts um, yeah, and the outcasts of Jewish society begin to feel valued, not only but by other people but by God now I just want to ask who does this description describe to you yeah that that's what I imagine most of you are thinking Jesus and you're not wrong but we're well we are going to talk about Jesus but not directly instead we're going to talk about Peter Peter faced these same same situations throughout acts four one to twelve Peter describes the account of this repeating story in Jerusalem, the first of many throughout Acts, where the apostles, including Paul, had to appeal to religious and political authorities. If we turn to Acts 4 1 to 12, and we'll say amen when you're there. And this is going to be the main scripture, so keep a finger in there because we'll be back and forth. Thank you. Solid. The screen doesn't count though, Um, sweet. So while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people, teaching the people that through Jesus there was resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning, but many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. I'm reading from the NLT, the NLT on the screen is slightly different, not too sure why, but it is what it is. And the next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with face unsure um yeah that guy that begins with c um john alexander and other relatives of the high priest they brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power and in whose name have you done this then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers and elders of our people are we being questioned today because we have done a good deed for a crippled man Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all of the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved so our our own lives and our own ministries reflect this repeating story it didn't stop in 100 AD when the first apostles were all dying off we yeah we still get the same criticism in our faith whether it's through religious authorities hire people in the church that may have a different understanding of how it should be done, or whether it's from the world. Um, Yeah, we we face this repeating trial. But conflict should be expected in our Christian journey. We promise that the Lord has the best life in store for us. I've heard Shannon say that from the front, but we never say it will be easy. John 14.12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. Now, Jesus did many things in his ministry, and he copped criticism because of that. Now, Jesus is expecting us to do greater things than he did, and therefore we should expect the same or greater criticism. And he died for his faith, so, you know what they say about, you know, poking the bear, if that's what we're called to do. The first part of Acts 4 displays this for the apostles. It talks about their, um, their journey into jail and then into a courtroom, effectively. Um, yeah, they're there merely for preaching the name of Jesus and for healing a man who was lame, which none of us could really argue with. We will face face conflict in our Christian journey many different ways through many different people, but it's our response that matters. Verse 8 to 12 shows the apostles' response, and there's a quote, I found it on the internet, I don't know where it came from, so I can't attribute it to anyone, but they say, life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you respond to it. Our The effect that this criticism has on our ministry is the same, and I believe that we need to make the best out of our 90%. Peter's first example in Acts 4 presents three considerations, or it presents many, I've picked out three, Um, yeah, on how we should respond. Firstly, his response to criticism And focuses on the authority of Christ and on Scripture. In verse verse 10 to 12, he says, Let me clearly state to all of you and all of the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, The stone you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter's response is unintimid- un- unintimidated. There's certainty in his his voice and his, what I imagine his presence would be. And um, yeah, Peter and the apostles had seen the resurrected Christ. For the first part or the last part of Acts, and. Um, They had 40 days with him. It says he remained with them for 40 days before he went back up to heaven. No doubt, Christ had authority over death. And that authority trumps that of his accusers. And Peter's aware of this. This removed his fear from the Jewish authorities and increased his boldness. Peter's response also alludes to Old Testament scripture, to Psalm 118, verse 22, which says... The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. We've heard that a couple of times. But Peter's not just quoting the psalm. Peter's quoting Jesus, who uses the same scripture to accuse the religious authorities in Luke 20. Um, Yeah, and these religious authorities are the same people that Peter and John are now in front of. So, yeah. Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the great harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up and sent him back empty handed. So the owner sent another servant. But they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do? The owner asked himself. I know. I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out to the vineyard and murdered him. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do to them, Jesus asked, remembering this as a parable. I'll tell you, he, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should happen, his listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, this is, then what does the scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone who falls on it. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against him. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Now Jesus had, at that time, a pretty reasonable following. So the religious authorities were being pretty cunning and how to respond to it can just get rid of him um, and through the song cornerstone we we read that and it's pretty clear that jesus is the stone that was rejected the cornerstone and the first time i read this parable it kind of seemed a wee bit confusing um, but verse 19 indicates that the authorities understood it pretty clearly If we give each person their role, it becomes a lot clearer. So the owner of the vineyard, that's the Lord. He's disrespected by the tenants who, in this parable, are the religious leaders. The owner sends his only son, Christ, yet he's killed, which we know. The owner punishes them, taking back the vineyard, being the church or the people, and gives it to the others, now the Christian following that's building christ is the rejected son the rejected stone but that rejected stone became the cornerstone and foundational sorry a cornerstone is the foundational or a prominent piece in a building peter reaffirms christ's use of the parable through alluding to psalm 118 22. he didn't need to say do you remember when jesus said he could just use that little bit of scripture, and they were there at the time. Brings it all back. This, through Christ's authority, this provided a effective response to religious oppositions. Now, we may not have 40 days with Christ as the apostles did, but we have a lifetime of discussion and interaction with him, not in the same physical sense, but Yeah, Um, and authority is central to military life, which is my life, sadly. Um, (laughs) Carrying out a task, so I'm an armourer, I work in the armoury, or used to. So carrying out a task, signing out a rifle, if questioned, I need to know who's given me that authority. I need to be able to cite the name and recognise the authority and confidently act within that. Peter knew the name of his superior officer. He recited it with authority and justified and confident before the chief priests. If you've been given authority to do something, no one else who's under the same authority can question that. And the entire world is under Christ's authority. Is it not? So when confronted with the opposition in our own lives, in our ministry, in our faith, I believe it's critical that we recognize the authority of Christ, the man who ordained us. And when we understand that, the opposition's authority becomes inferior. When we recognize Christ's authority or Scripture's authority, that trumps all. We'll walk tall within his will, not with arrogance, but with boldness, noting that nothing in this world can question our calling or our actions, assuming they're within God's will. Peter's example also provides uh, an example of how the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to respond. So in verse 7 to 8, yeah, verses 7 to 8. I can see it there, but I can't see it there. Um, Anyway, I'll just read it. They brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them rulers and elders of our people blah 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 blah. Luke, whilst he wrote Acts, depicts the questioning vividly, uses the word demanded. I often respond yeah, I often respond to demands with a reaction. Often sharp not loving, and potentially disrespectful. Peter doesn't. He's described as merely saying, said to them, not bellowed or with a pointy finger. I imagine Peter took a pause, maybe unsure in the moment of how to respond, but did not speak until the Holy Spirit had filled him. That may have been the major factor in his calm and collected response rather than an aggravated reaction. Um, Dr. John Townsend, who's the Christian author of the book Boundaries, in response to saying no in situations, and his book is quoted to saying, when you are reacting, they, they are in control. When you respond, you are. Peter remained calm, collected, and in control. Through the support of the Holy Spirit, He wasn't left alone, unable to defend himself, but rather with the right words and a calm manner, empowered by God to defend his ministry. He responded rather than reacted. If we turn to Luke 12, uh, 12, 11 to 12, Jesus promises this exact moment. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities... Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you, at that time, what needs to be said. I've been in situations where work colleagues have criticized me for my faith or for my stance on political issues that stems from my understanding of scripture. Sometimes I'm able to pause, pray quietly under my breath, and through the Holy Spirit, be gifted with the right words to say. I'm able to respond and able to represent God fairly. Regrettably, in some circumstances, I'm pretty quick to react. Defensive and full of emotion. This hurts their understanding of God. And that may have not been may not have been the best to begin with. And it hands the power over to the spiritual enemy. I may be the only one which Probably not, given the laughter in the room. I believe in future we will benefit our own personal ministry through a reliance on the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh before responding. Taking a short pause to reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Consider how our words might shape their understanding and their journey towards the Lord. Ultimately responding with wisdom, patience and grace as modeled by the apostles in the first century. And ultimately, this comes from the Holy Spirit. Lastly, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, which is the assembly of the religious authorities, provides an example of how good works can speak for itself. In verse 9, uh, Acts 4, verse 9, being part of his response, yep. Yeah. He says, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? The premise for the imprisonment and the premise for the interrogation is Christ's healing works through Peter in Acts 3, 1 to 11. Now, we'll quickly just work through the scripture. It's reasonably long. but Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried. Each day he was put beside the temple, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. There's that authority again. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So, to put this in perspective, a lame man who is crippled begs for money. At the gate to the temple, the beautiful gate, Rather than providing a temporary comfort, being money from Peter and John, they provide him with the gift of healing. The Greek word used in Acts 9 for the, for the word healed, I've got it up there because I don't really want to try and pronounce it, but yeah, say say so sty or something similar, probably with some afflictions in various places. Um, that's the word for healing for saving in the greek it comes from the root word "soteria," which comes from comes means redemption or salvation now peter's use of this word isn't accidental he's intentionally alluding to the redemption that would come through this Peter responds to the criticism, highlighting his morality, saying, are we being questioned because we are doing good? He takes the lack and disability and gives healing, redemption and wholeness. How can someone have an issue with us helping others? Ironically, raising this makes the authorities' intentions clear. They're not there for the people. They're not accusing Jesus, uh, accusing Peter because of their actions. They're accusing it, accusing him to maintain power. Luke's use of the Greek's word draws attention to salvation and then gives him the opportunity in verse 12 to discuss it. Now, our defense, is, our defense for our actions is supported through our morality. It's difficult to raise valid concerns if we're working honestly towards the redemption and the greater good of the community. Not necessarily in a salvation sense, but good works. Through Operation Christmas Child, which I know this church has been quite heavily involved with, and which are literally shoeboxes full of good works going to relatively impoverished nations. Or praying for healing in our workplace that might radically restore someone's health. Ultimately, through sharing the redemption, redemptive and saving works of Christ through the gospel. So, ultimately, the sharing of redemptive, saving works of Christ is the best good deed that we can do for the community and for the world. When we face criticism, regardless of where we are in our faith, or if others believe in the same God as we do, we cannot be vilified for doing good for bringing restoration and ultimately making lives better. Shannon often says, when someone becomes a Christian, the lives of everyone on the street should improve. And I wholeheartedly agree. Now we will face criticism through our Christian walk, whether it's based solely on our faith or because of the actions in our ministry. Acts 4, 1 to 12 presents an example of Peter. Responding to criticism and interrogation, but he uses his defense through the authority of Christ and the authority of Scripture, as well as allowing himself to be filled and gain support of the Holy Spirit, and finally, recognizing the good works his ministry was doing in bringing redemption and healing. These are all considerations for when we face opposition. If anchored in the authority of the Christ who sent us, we can be confident and bold. If we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, it will support a response rather than a reaction. And if we understand and highlight the good we are doing, bringing life and restoration for communities, that's hard to argue. Then we are able to provide a fair and justified answer for our ministry and represent the Lord fairly, and I believe make our 90% count towards the benefit of his kingdom. Can I please get the worship team back up? If, yeah. If you've never had this authority, the authority of Christ through love or through grace, or if you've never had the Holy Spirit fill you in your life, but you feel the Lord stirring something throughout the worship set, throughout the sermon, calling you into relationship, whether it's for the first time or after some time apart from the Lord, then I welcome you to come to the front during this next song. And myself or the elders, the leadership team, I'm sure, will pray for you and support you through any decision you choose to make. Alternatively, Shannon often says, if free yep yeah. and um, alternatively Shannon says that if you make that decision to tell at least three people by lunchtime so if you want to keep that to yourself that's between you and the Lord but try and do that and that gives you people to support you on the journey.